We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Okay, well, welcome back. This is Hampton Keithley with Bob Brandon, and we're doing Politics Friday. How are you today, Bob? I'm good, Hampton. And let me ask my favorite question. Are you excited? I am. Always. <laughs> Me too. I, I love this. I thank you for your fellowship, your partnership. We're going to have a great time today. But I have another warm-up question, pun intended. How hot are you down there in Texas? Oh, man, I think we've had four weeks of over 100 degrees every day. <laughs> and then you look at your iPhone app, the weather app on your iPhone, and the next 10 days are all over 100, 101, 102. So no, well, end, in, no end in sight. <laughs> well, we're getting kind of hot up here the Colorado, of course. We're getting up into low 90, 91, 92. And, uh, but it's not prohibitive like it might be in, in uh, Texas. So for instance, when our sun goes down, which in the summer, you know, 830 or something, it's so pleasant, right? It instantly goes down to the mid 70s. And you're just outside on your deck, just enjoying life. But down there, it stays warm around the clock, doesn't it? Well, I, we were thinking about going hog hunting about an hour west of San Antonio here where I am right now. And I'm going, I really don't want to go and sit outside <laughs> at nine o'clock when it's still a hundred. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't cool down to 80 until five in the morning or something like that. No, I remember, you know, I, I lived through some of those heat waves down there years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Well, longer than that now. And it, we were in one of those stretches like you're describing. And I remember it never getting below 84 or 85. Right. Even like you're saying, four or five in the morning, it was still that hot. Okay. So more power to you. You persevere. And in the meantime, we're going to go through our last section on Christianity and the Constitution from John Eidsmo. Such a good book. And uh, this last section is his take on the biblical principles found in the Declaration and the Constitution. And by the way, maybe one little, I know you're trying to rabbit trail me already this early in our session, but uh, you know how I asked the swimmers trivia questions. I, right. stumped, I stumped them all on this one. I said there were originally four prominent documents that founded the United States, the 
Constitution, of course, Declaration of Independence, of course, Articles of Confederation, and I forget the fourth one, but I told them there was only one person that signed all four of those. Who was that? And of course, they didn't know, so I made them do the hard workout, which was the workout I was going to give them anyway. But, right. <laughs> but the answer to that is uh, Roger Sherman. Right. So... Here's, here's our last chapter on the biblical principles found in the Declaration and in the Constitution. So I'm just going to read, and I'll skip some of the paragraphs we don't need to cover, but we'll get through this chapter. It'll be great, and we'll comment along the way. So, do the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution contain principles which are in keeping with those found in the Bible? Apparently... The United States Congress thinks so. On October 4th, 1982, Congress passed Public Law 97-280, declaring 1983 the year of the Bible. The president signed the bill into law. The opening sentences of the bill are... Whereas biblical teachings inspired concepts of civil government that are continued in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, whereas this nation now faces great challenges that will test this nation as, as it has never been tested before, and whereas that renewing our knowledge of and faith in God through Holy Scripture can strengthen us as a nation and a people. That's the opening couple sentences. Wow. We're, well, I know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was not aware of that. I can't imagine our Congress doing something like that now. That's powerful. But, you know, one application, you know, this is not to pick on this person. Obviously, we have drastically different views, worldviews. But I, I distinctly remember Obama just saying, we're not a Christian nation. And you're just going, well, I, on the one hand, I understand that. I mean, maybe that's more a conversation for, a, you know, sitting around a table at a tavern or something. But so I understand how you would say that. In, in a sense, Hampton, you can correct me because you're a better thinker on this stuff than I am. But, you know, I could almost imagine God saying the same thing. But in another sense, and I think it's the sense he was talking about, we are a Christian. We were certainly founded that way. Right. And I think his point kind of was we never really were and so on. And those aren't the principles that guide us. And I'm thinking, well, a lot of people sure think they are. And the guys who set it up sure thought it was. So anyway, that just really impressed me. I had no idea they passed a public law in 1983 uh, stating that stuff. And that was during Reagan. Uh, was Reagan? Wasn't he 80 to 88? Oh, you're probably right. I just remember Carter was my high school year. So, me yeah. Too. Yeah. Okay. Um so yeah, Reagan had a good influence on this country. Here, here we are further on in the 
he talks about some misconceptions. We don't really need to go over that. So here's a subsection of this chapter. It's the biblical principles found in both documents. So several biblical principles can be found when examining the declaration and constitution together. Number one, the providence of God. That's an important subject. Um, let me read a little bit of what he has here. The last sentence of the Declaration of Independence contains the words, a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The Founding Fathers not only believed in God, but also recognized his ruling hand in human activity. So here's a, uh, like an attempt at a definition. Providence is thought by some to be a deistic term for an impersonal God. But the meaning goes beyond that. Samuel Johnson's 1755 Dictionary of the English Language indicates, before I read that, let me point out the significance of that. Words can uh, grow and change in meaning. You're well aware of that. Hampton, you, you struggle with um, translational issues all the time that pertain to that. Like, what's the best way to translate that? Even from 40 years ago, there might well, be I a subtle shift. We may have talked shift. about this, but my favorite example is the uh, 80, 84 NIV had Samson was tied up with thongs. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, then, then shortly after that, uh, thongs were flip-flops yeah and so we all wore thongs when we went to the beach but if you say that now people don't picture you wearing flip-flops they picture you in a bikini. string bikini yeah <laughs> right and yeah. so that that word has changed twice in our lifetime yeah so there you go so the reason a 1755 dictionary would be important is because that's going to give the meaning that was current in the day the declaration was written right right so this so this is what they're going off of so this has uh, providence coming from providentia the latin word and the first comment on it is its foresight timely care and then number two the care of god over created things divine superintendence so it's a providence is a little stronger than you know the deistic attitude of yeah it's, it's like a clock he wound it more, up it's, and let it yeah go. it's more like just a reference to the sovereignty of god yes but but yeah in immediate sovereignty like you know that's hard to <clears throat> um it's hard to ascertain in your life if you don't have a a broader perspective. Here's what I mean. I remember the first time going to a hospital with my father and he'd ship me off to different departments. And I remember watching a uh, laparoscopy. They were doing a, uh, you know, an operation on a woman. And so they cut, make a little incision, you know, in the lower belly, stick this scope in there. And uh, the doc said, you know, he lets me look through the scope. He says, can you see anything? I said, well, you know, a bunch of gray. I really can't see anything. And he said, okay, now, and he pushes this button and some water shoots through the scope such that 
it pushes the tissue away from the scope and now you can see stuff, huh. right? So sometimes, you know, that's, that's a good principle in life. You need to back up sometimes and take a really big bird's eye view of your life, you know, spanning months and years. And quite often when you do that in Hampton, you can see God's care, his superintendence of your life and how that all worked out. You know, one, one way to make sure of that is if you keep a prayer journal, you know, every day for years and then go back and look at five years ago, 10 years ago and see how all those things came to pass. It's, it's really powerful. But, but it's not always this eye-opening. Remember, we read that one miracle you know, of that woman that was just in a horrible way and God had completely healed her. And, you know, that's attention-grabbing, right? right? That's, that's in your face. But his providence is so subtle that you can miss it. But it is there. It's powerfully there. Yeah. So, well, anyway. I can, look, I can look back at my life and I have a weird set of things that I've learned with Greek and Hebrew fonts and learning the languages and Perl programming and all the stuff that I ended up doing with the net Bible. There was no such major that one would say, I want to go do that when I grow up. Yeah. Yeah. But then I look back and I go, well, God gave me all of those experiences and helped me learn all those skills so that I could do this certain job better. But that's a, hind a hindsight so I can see his providence in that. Sure. Sure. So providence was a, is a big concept in our founding documents. They just state it directly. So again, for those who say the United States is not a Christian nation, it sure sounds like the founding documents were. Here's the second um, category, second biblical principle found in both documents. The law of God. All the founding fathers believed in, and this is a quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God. This phrase from the Declaration, which both Blackstone and Locke used previously, reflects the universal belief in some form of higher law to which man's law should conform and by which man's law will be judged. So um, we talked on previous podcasts about um, natural law. That's what they're referring to. And, and they all felt uh, compelled in that direction that there were just basic principles of right and wrong that ran the universe and the laws of a nation needed to reflect those deep laws that God etched into the creation um, and things would run much better if you did they, that they they weren't referring to some inanimate impersonal force like no. star, star wars they're referring to god yes when they say you know the laws of nature and nature's god they mean the creator and for right. them that was that was the biblical god if you want to put his personal name to it that's yahweh Right. And so I've, I've always explained the uh, natural law along these lines <clears throat> that remember when we talked about that, the way you access it is through wisdom. And when you lived a life of wisdom, you were strengthening 
in your way, the fabric of the universe. And when you were acting like a fool, you're tearing it apart. You know, crime and so on has consequences. It tears apart the fabric of the universe, I think. So they, they were very big on that principle. So next one, the law of nations. Let me read this one. <clears throat> Article one, section eight, clause 10 of the constitution authorizes Congress to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations. The founding fathers borrowed the phrase and concept law of nations from such thinkers as Grotius, Pufendorf and Vattel. They developed the concept of law of nations as an extension of natural God-given law. The fact a law exists, which supersedes the legislative enactments of various nations, implies a power and authority higher than man. The United States established war tribunals to bring foreign officials to trial for atrocities committed in violation of the law of nations or international law. Based on this clause of the Constitution, the fact that such officials could be held to a higher standard of conduct and that simple obedience to orders was not considered an absolute defense to charges of violating the international law indicates further recognition that the laws of man are subject to the law of God. That's a good, yeah, those that, are good, I, good thoughts. That, I, that kind of brings up, I think, the idea of the social contract theory of morality, as long as our country agrees that something is okay, then it must be okay. But this is above that social that's, contract. That's above that. And you could see those kind of concepts being applied like during, um, you know, the war trials of World War II, like in Nuremberg, right? Like, you know, when some of the Nazi soldiers, hey, I was just following orders. <laughs> well, <laughs> your orders don't supersede the law of God so right. you're you're accountable to God so what you did was wrong you know so the excuse of following orders doesn't necessarily follow well we certainly and, see some application of that in the last two years <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to try and rabbit trail me. well but I, so I don't want to dive in their head first for too long but uh, as our listeners know I mean, Fauci's on, on trial at The Hague as we speak. I've, I haven't checked on that in the last two weeks or so, so I don't know that lawsuit's case. But the primary attorney on that is Reiner Fulmick, in a German guy, but lives a lot in the United States. His English is very good. And uh, do you want to tune into him? Look him up on the internet and see what's going on there. But he's being tried for war crimes and Fauci's being tried for war crimes here in the States is soon. I know there's people seeking that lawsuit. What they're searching for is uh, the right district attorney, I guess, to listen to the case. 
but all that evidence is prepared and ready for trial. We'll see what becomes yeah. of that. Okay, here's the next one. This is an interesting one. I'll, I'll read a little bit to get us started on this concept, but then we'll we'll make our own comments. <clears throat> this is called the equality of man. Scripture states that God is no respecter of persons. That's Acts 10.34. And that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's Galatians 3.28. The Old Testament provides for equal justice under law. The judges were commanded not to take bribes or show partiality to the rich. Likewise, the judge must not countenance a poor man in his cause. The Declaration of Independence also declares as a self-evident truth that all men are created equal. So let's talk about that for a second, because to me, that's a fascinating philosophical discussion. So have you ever thought, I, I don't think anybody really argues the point that we're all equal. And yet, in a way, maybe they should. Don't worry, I'm not getting off track here. I'll, br I'll bring us around to a, a okay. good reason, a good reason. But am I equal to Michael Jordan in basketball? No. <laughs> am I equal to Michael Phelps in swimming? Am I equal, right? You could go on and on. We are not equal. We're not the same sizes. We don't have the same capacities, talents. We're not equal. I, I would say probably even identical twins, probably not completely equal. Right. So where, where's this coming from? All men are created equal. Where's, where's that? Where do you get that? How, how could you defend that concept? And what I would say is, well, every human being is the image of God. Right. So that's actually what makes us equal. Yeah. Is that we, we all have equal standing before God. But notice the danger in that. If you take God out of that equation, we're not equal. And yeah. that's, I, that's what we're going to see coming in our days. More and more absolutism, right? More and more a ruling class that does not feel equal to you and I and will impose their will. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing to think about, the, that all men are created equal. Well, how so? Because <laughs> it's obvious we're not, except in the sense that we're all the image of God. Okay, next one. God-given human rights. All the founding fathers believed that God had given men certain rights and that the laws of nature and of nature's God required respect for those rights. Natural rights were part of natural law. God-given rights were part of God's law. John Locke summarized the God-given rights as life, liberty, and property. This phrase is found in the 5th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution. 
in the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson expanded property to pursuit of happiness. But the meaning was clear. All men were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness did not mean the seeking of hedonistic pleasure. <laughs> Concept. See, I, I think that that is an unfortunate phrase, the pursuit of happiness, because it was just within the last couple of weeks, I was talking to someone about all of this and yeah, I'm not sure that that's really what God intends is that we just pursue happiness. And I think they had this the hedonistic view of that. And I like the word property. Yeah. Better. Yes. Yes. You know, so did you ever have Wayne House when you were in school for any classes? No, he was I never a professor where when I was there. I know him and have I talked to him at ETS almost every time I go. So I I really enjoyed him. You know, he was not one of the guys that like had a prominent name. You know how some some people almost develop a a following, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, Howard Hendricks or, you know, even before that a little bit, Ryrie or something. But you know how there's there's basically famous names in in theology. And Wayne House, to, to my recollection, perhaps he's grown some in fame but he was just a, kind of a normal guy it, it wasn't like you signed up for wayne house's class and you thought oh okay you know i'm really excited i'm gonna get to hear and yet i found that guy fascinating in fact do you know the first time i ever read the book christianity and the constitution which we're reading right now was in wayne house's class Really, he, he's the guy who said, you know, this is part of this is required reading. He was so good. So anyway, he had a great concept that um, kind of summarized what we're talking about here. So what we're talking about is God-given human rights. So the right to property, the right to life, things like that. His concept for those rights was soul as in s-o-l-e as in like only soul stewardship so in other words your wealth whatever it may be was yours to administrate not somebody else's you know what i mean you were Mm -hmm. a steward you were a steward of what god had placed in your care but you were the sole steward of that of what was in your care. I think that was such a great way to summarize all this stuff. Yeah, that's so a good thought. It was good. And so what it, you know, the way it runs up against what we're struggling with today is I think the government feels like they're the steward. And you can, you know, have what the government lets you have. Including rights. <laughs> yes, which they can trample when they want to, as they've proved in the last few years. I mean, I don't think enough people have sat back and really realized when they shut down businesses, how anti-constitution that was. Right. And it's just a raw demonstration of power that we can take your business whenever we want. They That just, I can't. And what effect did that ever have on 
and the whole scam of that the yeah. virus scam don't rabbit trail me hampton on the virus but um it's such a good concept soul stewardship and the founding fathers thought that came from god that he he was the one who granted rights like for instance we've often said this i think our listeners have had this beaten into them now but what was adam's main job description and it was to rule the earth and so in order to do that you need some resources right you can't you can't just say you're the ruler right you got to have authority you have to have rights you you have to have the ability to, to enforce, you know, your thoughts on the green. God wants man to do that. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, um, that whole idea of having property, uh, you go back Rodney Stark's book, how the West won. And I think it's in that book where he talks about China, somebody invented steel and they started making and selling it and they were getting wealthy and the, the ruling class, pretty much just came along and took away their whole business and said, you're a, a, a peasant. You're supposed to remain a peasant. You don't have the right to move up in the society. And, and they squashed the whole steel industry. Mm -hmm. And so that was why they, they remained a backward country for so long. Same thing happened in Japan and the ships that traveled to, to the, you know, trade and they shut down the shipping, you know, stuff, as opposed to America, where we had rights to our inventions mm -hmm. and, and uh, copyrights on the things we'd written. And so we had our private property that we were stewards of. And that's why we were so successful. And now the U.S. Patent Office is taking away the patents from people. And it's it's almost where you can't invent anything now because they're just going to take it away the people in china are going to copy your your invention and um, compete with you and so there's no motivation to create something new because it'll just be stolen yeah yeah and then also you know a tangent to that a horrifying tangent since the year 2000 there's there's roughly i'm rounding down it's a little bit more than this but this is a ballpark figure about 30,000 patents a year granted in the united states and since the year 2000 about one third of those have related to coronavirus wow. just just that concept ought to start everybody's wheels spinning about what is really going on with this stuff. Who's the guy that's big into the patents? Uh, Martin, David Martin. David Martin. Yeah. Does a lot of that work. And then as far as the patents and the patent applications um, to the vaccines and so on, and the virus itself, that's Karen Kingston. Okay. So just for our listeners, if you want to research that stuff, it's jaw dropping. You know, all the, the questions, you know, should I be vaccinated or not? Well, just go read the patents. <laughs> and my guess is you won't get vaccinated after you read that. Mm -hmm. But but there are the sources for that. David Martin's good. 
just just google him find his stuff you know he's got a, plenty of youtube lectures conference you know he speaks at conferences quite often and then karen kingston i actually have come to like her the best of of all my information sources over the last year or so because mostly she, that's what she does is just read the the patents and, and ex explains them yeah so, so you know she said if it's some chemical um see you know ch 21 xy well i don't know what that is and she'll go well that's cobra venom or something like that you know so she'll she explains it but basically she just reads the the patents she's a good good researcher and that's a uh, another kind of humorous to me at least aspect of that is you know you, you know the old proverb right it's not a necessarily a biblical proverb though there's an example of this in the scriptures but um you don't want to rile up a mama bear and it, she's a mama bear. <laughs> and so, I mean, nothing's going to stop her. She's just going to go 24 seven for years on this stuff. She's so riled up. So, okay. So that, that was the uh, subject of God given human rights, but it's the same as the equality of man, the danger in it, in that if you remove God from the equation, then you've removed rights because if your rights came from God and yet someone has decided there is no God, then they've also eliminated your rights. So that that's politically where our world's coming from today. Right. So next one, which is a, a piggyback on the last one, governments secure rights. The declaration continues that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. The preamble of the Constitution declares that one of its purposes is to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. The Founding Fathers recognized that governments do not grant rights, nor do they have legitimate authority to take rights away rights are God-given, and for that reason, they are unalienable. Governments merely secure or make it possible for men to enjoy the rights that God has given. So, you know, back to these basic fundamental concepts, why do we even have a government? To Well, to secure your rights is maybe the foundational principle of why you have that. Yeah. So, and that goes back to our just one of our earliest podcasts where we talked about the Noahic covenant and That's right. That's right. That that was really a reflection of the natural law. And that's right, Hampton. So for our listeners, if if you're a recent listener, go back and listen to our podcast that that we've already done that set up all that stuff so that you have a, a running start on these concepts. Here's the next uh, biblical principle. Government by consent of the governed. To secure these rights, the declaration also states governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And the Constitution begins, we, the people of the United States, 
in order to form a more perfect union, right? What does the declaration mean by consent of the governed? Martin Diamond explains what consent of the governed implied in the 1700s. So let's listen to a couple sentences. Now, to secure these rights, men quit the insecure state of nature and governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Here we have the unambiguous meaning of the other phrase in the declaration that is now so typically misunderstood. It has been transformed to mean rule by the consent of majorities. That is consent according to the procedures of the democratic form of government. But the declaration does not say that the consent is the means by which the government is to operate. It says that the consent is necessarily necessary only to institute or establish the government. It does not prescribe that the people establish a democratic form of government which operates by means of their consent. Instead, the declaration says that they may organize governments on such principles as they choose that they may choose any form of government they deem appropriate to secure their rights. In this, the declaration was again, simply following Locke, who taught that when men consent to join into and make one society, they might set up what form of government they thought fit. By any form of government, the declaration emphatically includes as any literate 18th century reader would have understood, not only the democratic form of government, but also a mixed form and the aristocratic and monarchic forms as well. Thus the declaration, accurately speaking, is neutral on the question of forms of government, any forms legitimate, provided it secures equal freedom and is instituted by proper consent. But as to how to secure that freedom, the declaration in its famous passage on the principles of government is silent. Well, I think about the debate as to whether or not the founding fathers were being biblical when they had a revolution. And, you know, people want to go to the passage where Jesus says, you know, render under C unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto God, what is God's. And so there's a whole bunch of people that think we should not have had a revolution, that that was uh, unbiblical. But this is saying that if we don't like our government, we can set up a different one. Yeah, but not not just don't like it in general. It's well, if, if, they're the violating, government, if, if yes. they're violating the natural laws and that's right. not, not protecting our natural rights. God that's right. right. That's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, that passage you referred to about, you know, paying taxes to Caesar and so on, you know, there's another deeper aspect to that, which is really, in my estimation, what that passage is really about. Because remember, he asked, you know, for a coin whose image is this so to a biblical theologian ooh that instantly sends off these huge echoes right like well it's caesar's image so give it to him but that leaves implied a much bigger 
in a sense, I'm taxing quotation marks. Right. We're God's image. So everything belongs to God. But in, in the meantime, right, give Caesar his due. But man is the image. So everything belongs to God. So anyway, quite a, quite a passage. Okay, here's a really big one, Hampton. Next biblical principle found in the founding documents. The sinful nature of man. Any theory of government must be based on a realistic view of human nature. Utopian philosophies such as socialism or communism are based on beliefs in human perfection or human perfectibility. The biblical view that man is a sinner capable of some civic virtue, but basically self-centered and self-seeking gravitates toward a different form of government then communism is what he's implying. The founding father's view of human nature was the same as the Bible's view. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Their task was to shape a government that was consistent with this view of man. So let's read, because I like reading these founding fathers. Here's a paragraph from the Federalist, number 51, which James Madison wrote. But what is government itself, but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? Let's pause there for a sec. Would you have described government that way? No, but that's good. Aren't, isn't it? I mean, I'm telling you, these guys were so penetrating with their insight. So, but what is government itself, but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. <laughs> if angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government, which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. Well, I, I would they, argue, I would argue that we do have angels controlling our government <laughs> now. <laughs> I, indeed. So <laughs> indeed. And not, and not good ones. <laughs> indeed. But, you know, that realm, we don't really have control over. No. You know, so you, but, but that is a great observation, Hampton. And I'll tell you what that pertains to. I had a conversation about this just the other day, and it's not a, a popular um, concept, but I would say, you know, there's still in existence the um, concept of Christian magic, and that's blasphemous, right? That, that's, people attempting to use the Christian faith to manipulate the spiritual realm and particularly God. It's not uncommon that you'll see that on TV, right? Hmm. If, if you just do X, Y, and Z, God will answer, you know, rescue you from your difficulties, provide you with all these blessings, blah, 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 blah. 
like it's mechanical, like it's magical. If you just do X, Y, and Z, you know, and usually X, Y, and Z looks like giving that guy money, right? Yeah. So if you just send me, you know, 50 bucks, God, you'll be sowing into God's kingdom and he'll reward you with all this. That's Christian magic. And that to me, and, and just in my thinking, I could, you know, use some further input on this from other qualified guys, but in my understanding, that's the violation of the commandment, don't take my name in vain, which, mm-hmm. you know, is really not about cursing. Though that's a good idea not to curse, but that's about don't try to manipulate me. Don't, don't take my name in vain, right? Don't put my name to some concept you thought up for your benefit and think you can... Uh, manipulate me that, that way you know one of the greatest biblical examples right is when israel takes the ark into battle is, isn't that magic yeah. right hey hey we got this supernatural box so when we bring that in oh man you know we'll annihilate the philistines <laughs> no they didn't <laughs> in fact the Philistines captured the ark, right? That turned out to be not a good idea by the Philistines, but you, you understand what I'm saying. You right. cannot, you cannot manipulate God. So that, that little rabbit trail was brought up by you referring to, wait, there's, there's angelic governance. That's pretty clear. Where, where would you turn to in the scriptures to support that? I can't think of any place right now. Well, well, Daniel prominently, right? The angel of uh, Persia held me up. Oh, that's you know, right. I would have I appeared here 21 days ago, but I had to do battle with the angel of Persia. Also, is it Psalm 90 or 82, maybe, where God's addressing, the 82, I think, where God's addressing the heavenly council and saying, you're not doing it right. And he's, he's talking to the angels about administering the earth. So powerful passages to that effect. So anyway, back to the sinful nature of man. Um, I, how can I say it other than that is absolutely critical. You cannot set up a government without taking that into account. And if you do, like the communist nations, you'll f- flounder. Right, your people will not benefit from that kind of government. They'll well, suffer. I, the uh, the first people to land in America tried a communist form of government where everybody didn't just last worked long. and and put they put all their stuff in common use, and so people could eat whether they worked or not. So they didn't work, and they just about starved. Yeah, it lasted for one harvest. And then they realize, oh, that's not the way to do it. But um, but I I just don't think we could overstate this point. That's just mm-hmm. so critical. And, you know, Hampton, you mentioned something before we started recording this. The disbelief, or it's, it's not even necessarily an active disbelief. It's just a uh, lack of actual belief. You'll see what I'm trying to say in a second. Awareness. Awareness, you know, uh, yeah. A lack of factoring that in to how you view the world. 
is so prominent today. So I had a doctor appointment a week or so ago, two weeks maybe. And, uh, you know, just casually, I'm sitting in there, the doc's preparing something. Say, hey, doc, I'm going to ask you something off the cuff. Just, I'm interested in your medical opinion, but I'm not, you know, that's not why I'm seeing you. I'm just interested what you think about this. I'm not recording this. You know, this is, if you say whatever you want. And so I said, what do you think, you know, this COVID stuff is? And she said, oh, well, you know, there's new viruses all the time. And, and so one has popped out into the human population. <laughs> so I said, well, you don't think it's man-made? And it, it, it's 100% man. When I say 100% man-made, what I mean is they took a coronavirus as the spine of what they were doing, but they've altered it lots of different ways. They've added plenty of stuff. So that's what I mean by man-made. So I, I said, well, it's, you don't think it's man-made? And she said, no. Why, why would a government do that? And right. so, you know, I didn't reply because I didn't want to. I just said, hmm, but how revealing. And I think what she was communicating is the view most people have. That, no, Bob, you're, you're just a conspiracy theory guy. That you, the government would not be purposely killing people. Oh, really? <laughs> we don't have any history of that. We, like, remember when we read the um, just a little bit of the Pentagon Papers that mm -hmm. came out after the uh, Vietnam War? And it, people were aghast. Oh, my God, this is what the government was really doing. Yeah, that's what they were doing. They had no intention of winning that war. They were sending soldiers there to die in order to keep up literally a false face on our role in the world. And so for that, they would kill people. You don't think there's other motives to kill people today that they're doing? I mean, how could you, that, that is the most hopelessly naive position I think I've ever heard. That, that doctor voiced and she's a great doc i mean i would go back in a second she's very good at what she does but her worldview is severely lacking and imagine how hampton that'll steer you wrong in life when your worldview is that far off the truth here was another interesting aspect of uh, that conversation that we had about the Pentagon Papers and stuff to me that applies to what we're talking about right now. Remember the statement, the philosopher we were using to go through the Pentagon Papers was Hannah Arendt. And remember her statement that once those papers were revealed, that was all FOIA stuff, Freedom of Information Act stuff that they had to release that to the public afterwards. Now they're much more reluctant to release anything. But back then, before they knew what a weapon that was for we the people, you know, to have access to what the government was actually thinking. Now it's almost impossible to get the government to respond to that, a Freedom of Information Act. They just put that on the side of their desk and never look at it, right? They slow track everything. But the point was she was making about that was all the information that came out from the Pentagon Papers was available and had been 
through other sources the entire time. And no one, no one pieced together that that's what they were really doing during Vietnam. So I would say the same today. All the information you need about this COVID stuff is available to you. You can go search it out. You have to do that with discernment, right? And I don't think there's any one source that will tell you everything inherently, but you can put that puzzle together. And I, I think, you know, a decade from now, they'll look back at this and go, oh my, I can't believe the horror of what they were doing. And I'm saying, well, you could believe that right now. We have enough evidence to piece that all together. So that concept of um, that man is the image of God and that man is sinful now since Genesis 3. If you don't build your government on those two pillars, it, it'll fail. It, it'll fail in its job to promote welfare amongst the people. You know, obviously you could have some dictatorial government that will function, but the people won't thrive. And it, as you notice, you know, the United States down through history and we're, we're coming to our end, but I would imagine what stood out about the history of the United States was the unbelievable rise of the middle class because people were enabled Right. You know, their, their freedoms were enabled by our system of government for mankind to thrive. And once they do that, then your nation dominates. That's what I think we'll be known for, you know, looking back in history. But that's all being taken away now because we haven't been careful enough with guarding the government itself. You know, the governments become corrupt. The institutions of the government have become corrupt. And that's hard, that's hard to make headway against that because they control all your access to changing their control. Yeah. So next concept, which fits right in with this, limited delegated powers. The founding fathers intended to limit the authority of rulers to the powers delegated in the constitution. This also reflects Locke's principle of social compact and the Calvinist concept of covenant. The people delegate certain powers to government. Government has no powers other than those delegated. The phrase in the declaration, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed establishes this point. If the governed did not consent to give certain powers or to the government through the constitution, then the government doesn't have that power. But try, try asserting your rights. <laughs> see, see how far that gets you today. I mean, you're just gonna run, run into walls that are, that are too high to get over. Right. But, but that concept's clear enough. Then, Next biblical principle, the rights of criminal defendants. The founding fathers knew the punishments necessary to deter crime. 
just that concept might not even be true today, but it yeah. was back then. It was back then. The founding fathers knew that punishment is necessary to deter crime, but they also recognized that an orderly process of justice is necessary to distinguish between guilty and innocent. And in a free society, which values human dignity, a defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. So in here, I'll skip a paragraph. Um, in giving rights to the accused, the Jewish system of justice was one of the most advanced in the world. Israel had an orderly multi-tier system of justice with Moses as the Supreme Court. Exodus 18, Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 19. Judges were commanded to be honest, to refuse bribes and not to show favoritism. A person was presumed innocent unless at least two witnesses testified against him. Deuteronomy 17. And the penalty for perjury was severe. Deuteronomy 19. Extra biblical, extra biblical Jewish law went further than our current legal system in protecting the rights of the accused. The reason for the emphasis on man being created in the image of God and that human life and dignity were to be greatly valued. Next one. We've touched on this a little bit, but property rights. The Constitution places great value on property rights. For example, life, liberty, and property in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, and the further guarantee of the Fifth Amendment that nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. The Bible also values property rights. Much of the Mosaic Law deals with property. Realty was held by families rather than individuals due to the unique relation of Israel to its land through the Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants. But other types of property were individually owned. The commands thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not covet clearly imply property rights. Don't they? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So next one, the sanctity of contract the right to make contracts, expect others to obey them and to expect the courts to enforce them if necessary is closely related to property rights. So the constitutional forbids, the constitution forbids the states from enacting any law impairing the obligation of contracts. Hmm. Uh, the concept of multiple witnesses, right? Scriptures mm -hmm. declare at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. Deuteronomy 17. Um, how about this one? In the Constitution, Sundays accepted. The Bible commands, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. 
So Article 1, Section 7, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution sets forth the president's veto power and declares that if any bill shall not be returned by the president within 10 days after it shall have been presented to him, the same, <laughs> yep, the same shall be a law in, in like manner as if he had signed it, but Sundays accepted. It says, says that in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's Eidsmo's take on the biblical principles that are in the Constitution and the Declaration. I think he did a great job of yeah, that's really good. enumerating and explaining those. So it's good for our, our listeners to, to know those things because that's all going to come crashing down, I think. I sound like such a wet blanket on all this stuff, but the bright side of all that is uh, because ultimately we're not going to solve these issues until Jesus returns, right? That that's where we're headed. That's the ultimate yeah. form form of government. So let's go ahead and get there. <laughs> yeah, look, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There you go. Well, that was very good. All righty. Okay. I guess I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Hampton. Bye. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.